Hey there, Orioles fans. Today is Tuesday, April 12th, 2022, and welcome back in to the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, Connor Newcomb, and coming up on today's episode, we celebrate because the Orioles got their first win of the 2022 season, winning the home opener by a score of 2-0 over the Milwaukee Brewers. And on today's episode, I'll get you the five things you need to know from the Orioles' home opening win over the Brewers. We'll talk about the roster moves the Orioles made before the game against Milwaukee on Monday. And then we'll look ahead to the rest of this series with the Brewers and talk about if the O's can win their first series of the season. But that's all coming up on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast. You are Locked On Orioles, your daily Baltimore Orioles podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So everyone rejoice. The Baltimore Orioles are no longer the only winless team in baseball. That's right. After the first weekend series, the only team to get swept this year was the Orioles in the three-game series against the Rays. Everybody else in baseball had a win, and now all 30 teams in baseball have a win as the Orioles win the home opener 2-0 over the Milwaukee Brewers. And I'm going to get to the five things you need to know from that Orioles victory. But first, just wanted to thank you for making Locked on Orioles your first podcast listen of the day. Locked on Orioles is free and available on all podcast listing platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, wherever you might listen. And also, remember... We are on YouTube, free and available right here on YouTube. If you're watching, hit that red subscribe button right there. If you so, please, please do so. Really, really helps out the pod. And again, we thank you so much. You know, so many new subscribers over the past couple of days. So many new followers on Twitter over the past couple of days. You can follow us at Locked on Orioles for a lot of Orioles content throughout the season. And again, you know, check out the podcast on Apple Pods and Spotify. Leave a five-star rating and a review there if you can. That really, really helps out the pod. But again, couldn't be doing this without you all. So thank you so much again for making Locked on Orioles your first listen of the day. And for your first listen today, the Orioles are victors. One and three on the season after a 2-0 win over the Milwaukee Brewers. And we start with the five things you need to know from the Orioles' win over Milwaukee in the home opener at Camden Yards in front of pretty much a packed house here in 2022. And the first thing you need to know, Bruce Zimmerman was great with the pressure on and the lights the brightest in a start that meant so much to him on the hill. Zimmerman's final line in his first start of 2022, four scoreless innings, allowing just three hits. He struck out four, he walked two, he threw 66 pitches in his four innings of work. And for Bruce Zimmerman, obviously, it was such a special day because he's the hometown kid from Ellicott City, played at Loyola Blakefield, played at Towson for a bit before transferring to the D2 level and then getting drafted by the Braves. But for Bruce Zimmerman, first Orioles starter on the home opener that's from Maryland in a while. And just a really cool moment for Bruce. He talked about after the game how actually Sunday night when the Orioles got back in from Tampa, he kind of snuck out onto the field at Camden Yards just to get on the mound and kind of, you know, go through some scenarios, calm his nerves a bit. It definitely helped him out. And what was really working for Bruce was that changeup. Now for Bruce Zimmerman, you know, he's similar to John Means in that he's a fastball changeup guy, but he's, he's always thrown a lot of that slider as well. Well, the slider usage was actually way down in this game. Of his 66 pitches, he threw just eight sliders on the day. And really, he went to that changeup 
a lot. It was 29 four-seam fastballs about 44% of the time. And, you know, he was averaging 91. He was up towards 93 at the most. But the changeup was his number two pitch. He threw 17 changeups, 26% of the time. And now, listen, he only got four whiffs on the day. Not a crazy amount of swings and misses. But two of them came on the changeup. The changeup was in the zone a lot. How about this? Of 17 changeups, he got two whiffs, and he got seven called strikes on that pitch to go along with two foul balls. The ball was also put in play three times that resulted in an out. That was a dominant pitch for Bruce Zimmerman. And, you know, I wonder if he has been kind of talking with John Means at all about how he throws his changeup because Bruce's changeup looked a lot like Means's did on Friday in Tampa. You know, it's that lefty change that's, you know, got a good amount of difference in velocity, but not a crazy amount. I mean, his fastball averaged 91, his changeup averaged 84. So it's not a crazy drop off at seven miles per hour. But what it did have for Bruce is that tailing action. It dives down and away from righties and, and down and into lefties. And the way Bruce threw that changeup so well today is that he was throwing it for strikes on the inner half to righties. Now he used it mostly against right-handers and against righties, he would throw a lot of changeups where the pitch would kind of start off the inside corner to a righty and it would dive back into the inside corner for a called strike. And then to get them to swing and miss, he would throw the changeup that would start at the knees on the outside corner and just kind of dive down and away from a right-hander. He had the changeup command looking pretty good. And if you pitch into a righty with that changeup, Things can get bad. Jim Palmer talked about it on the broadcast, how, you know, that's a really good pitch, him throwing that down and in change. But if he leaves it up at all, it becomes a real issue. But he never did. He kept it down. And that pitch, frankly, was dominant on the day. And that is the reason why he was able to roll through the game. You know, he threw the curveball and he threw the slider, but he was a fastball changeup guy. And those four innings were, were really impressive from Bruce Zimmerman. Second thing you need to know from the Orioles' win over the Brewers the bullpen, once again, was nails. And of course, the entire Orioles staff pitched a combined shutout here. But the Orioles' bullpen was fantastic. It kept them in the game over the weekend against the Rays. And they just continued that momentum into this game and this home opener against Milwaukee. How about Mike Bauman to start it off? You know, Bauman comes out there in the fifth after Bruce Zimmerman is done, makes his season debut. The stuff was looking good for Mike Bauman. He throws two and a third scoreless, allowing just one hit, struck out three, and walked one through 37 pitches through that stretch. The fastball was not the fastball we saw from Bauman in the bigs last year. It was back and even better than the Bauman fastball we knew. We knew, you know, coming up through the minors that Bauman had a big-time fastball, and, you know, if he ever came out of the bullpen, it would, you know, play up even more. But he throws 37 pitches, 29 of them were fastballs, he was averaging 97, he was up above 98, and when you compare that to his numbers from last year, that is up more than three miles per hour on average. That's pretty good, and again, you know, he was still coming back fully from injury at the end of last year, but Bauman was throwing 97, 98 regularly and was throwing mostly fastballs. It was 27 or 29 fastballs. He threw seven curveballs and one slider. And, you know, those pitches didn't get, you know, the big swings and misses he wanted, but he got three whiffs on the fastball. He threw it. You know, he was a little erratic with the command of that fastball. I'll tell you that from watching the game. He wasn't perfect on command. He was kind of yanking it down in that fifth inning. You know, he was trying to throw at the knees. He was yanking it below the knees. He was leaving it up high. But the velocity was good, and he was able to get guys out over two and a third and that's the kind of piggyback the Orioles need, especially early in the season when they're still trying to stretch these starters out like Bruce Zimmerman. You know, Brandon Hyde said he'd probably go four to five innings. He goes four innings. They got to have a piggyback guy. 
And what they didn't have Sunday because Dean Kramer got hurt was a piggyback guy. That's what they had on Monday. Mike Bauman, two and a third. It was great. Dylan Tate came in after Bauman, and, you know, his stuff wasn't his best. I will tell you that right now. But it's a good sign for Tate that even though he didn't have his best stuff, he did his job. He got the two outs he needed to finish off the seventh. Then they went to CNL Perez, who had been locked down in spring training and early this season. Throws a scoreless eighth with a strikeout. Here's the big thing for Perez. He only needed nine pitches, so he should be good to go here for Tuesday's game as well. I mean, Perez just walked out of the bullpen, said... Here I come, and he threw five fastballs and four sliders and left them out. You know, he was throwing 96-97 and got the outs that he needed, got a strikeout, and uh, looked pretty good doing it. And then kind of the big thing from the bullpen, Jorge Lopez gets the Orioles' first save chance of 2022. Now, obviously, you know, bullpen roles changed when the Orioles traded Cole Salser and Tanner Scott to the Marlins last week. But how about Jorge Lopez coming in? Now, he does issue a one-out walk, but he ends up getting a couple more outs. He gets a strikeout in the inning, throws 15 pitches, gets the save, and the Orioles win the game 2-0. And again, the velocity was up just like it was over the weekend for Jorge Lopez coming out of the bullpen. And, you know, he was throwing that sinker. It was averaging 98 miles an hour. And it was looking good. He was throwing the changeup. The changeup was looking good at about 91. He threw the curveball in there. I like Jorge Lopez in the bullpen. I like this current Orioles bullpen. It was good stuff today. Third thing you need to know from this one is that Cedric Mullins got the big hit. And that was big for him because I wouldn't call it a slump to start the season. It was only three games, but he was struggling a little bit. And hey, he only went one for five today. He did strike out twice. He struck out a lot so far this season. His average is at 188. But Cedric Mullins got the big hit in this game. Came up with the bases loaded and two outs in the second inning and delivered a two-run single into center field off of Brewer starter Adrian Hauser. Jorge Mateo, who was just electric in this one, able to score on the hard-hit ball and was fired up as he crossed home plate, sliding him just barely uh, past the tag of the catcher Victor Caratini. And, uh, you know, it was fun to watch Mateo get in there. And it was fun to watch Mullins come up with his first big hit of the season. Had so many of them last year, and this should propel him back into what we saw last year. It was great. And, you know, Theo's got two runs in the second. You thought, all right, nice, jump out to a lead. <laughs> Ended up being the only runs in the game. Fourth thing you needed to know, Anthony Santander is on a mission right now. He knows he had the good 2020, cut short by the injury. He knows he had multiple injuries in 2021, never got going. He is hotter than pretty much anybody else in baseball to start 2022. I think the only hotter hitter right now in the game is Stephen Kwan, who's doing ridiculous things for the Guardians right now. Santander reaches base all four times he's up there. A single, a double, and two walks. He's now hitting 500 through four games this season with a 1567 OPS. That's pretty good. And these weren't just excuse me bloop singles. Both of those hits he had, the single and the double, I should say, were hard-hit balls. That's a ball off the bat, 95 miles per hour or more. That's pretty good from Santander. He looks solid moving around in right field. He did get replaced by Ryan McKenna in right as a defensive replacement in the ninth, but that doesn't even have to do with Santander's health or anything. It's just that Ryan McKenna is the best defensive outfielder maybe on the team, and so that's an easy replacement to make if you have him on your bench. But Santander is swinging it really, really well, and you know, this is a conversation for later podcasts, but is he making it easier for the Orioles to trade him? 
Or is he making it harder for them to trade him, wanting to hold on to him, and harder for them to find a way to get Kyle Stowers, Yusniel Diaz, Robert Newstrom to the bigs? I mean, Santander playing well can only help the Orioles. And I hope he continues to hit like this because it has been fun to watch Anthony Santander. And the fifth and final thing you need to know from the Orioles' 2 nothing win, it was just awesome to have a full Camden Yards. You know, we really didn't get it much last year because there was the kind of abbreviated attendance rules at the beginning of last season. And obviously the Orioles were terrible last year, so not a lot of big crowds. But to see, you know, full capacity in the stadium was not a sellout. The Orioles announced a sellout. There were empty seats, but it was pretty full. And it was the fullest it's been probably since around the beginning of the 2019 season. The crowd was loud. Brandon Hyde said, you know, the Cedric Mullins two RBI single was some of the loudest he's ever heard Camden Yards. And that's believable. He's only been the manager for these terrible teams since 2019. And uh, that was cool. You know, the crowd erupted on the Jorge Lopez final out. You know, they were fired up for some plays the Orioles made, some big outs that Bruce Zimmerman got. It was just really fun to see a lot of people at the yard. Now, I was not at the yard. I will be there on Wednesday night, but it was fun to watch. There was energy, and we need that back sooner rather than later. But the Orioles win it 2-0 over the Brewers. A fun opening day in Baltimore as the O's get on the board, now 1-3 on the season. But that wasn't the only thing going on in Oriole land on Monday as they also made some roster moves before Monday's game because they had an unfortunate injury in the bullpen on Sunday. And we'll talk about that and how that changes the roster moving forward here in just a second. But first, you know, hey, I'm sure many people saw the Milwaukee Brewers, a World Series contender, taken on the Baltimore Orioles on Monday and said, you know what? Let me bet on the Brewers to win this game. And those people would have lost money. And if you would like to do the same thing today and maybe risk losing some more money, head over to betonline.net because they've got all your sports wagering needs. But it's not just the bets you can place over there. They've also got podcasts you can check out, just like this one. They've got sports news to figure out, you know, who's injured, who you may want to place a wager on. They've also, you know, just got everything you need. You can check the scores at betonline.net as well. It's your one-stop shop. Plus, you know, you've got baseball season. You've got the NBA playoffs starting tonight with the play-in. NHL playoffs start soon. You know, things are heating up in the sports world, and you can go and check out some wagers at betonline.net. You can also play your favorite Vegas casino games right from the comfort of your own home. So head over to betonline.net, where the game starts. So the Orioles beat the Brewers 2-0 on Monday in the home opener, and it was with a different roster than they played with this weekend. It took them three games, and they already were kind of forced to make some roster moves before Monday's game. and just wanted to kind of break those down here as we go. And let's start with kind of what prompted it all, and that was Dean Kramer. Mentioned it briefly on Monday's episode I was recording kind of just after we found out that Dean Kramer had tweaked his oblique while warming up in the bullpen in Sunday's game against the Rays. He was the planned follower, the bulk guy to come in behind Tyler Wells after Wells made his first career start on Sunday. Obviously, Wells only lasted an inning in two-thirds. Felix Bautista was kind of the sandwich guy, got four outs. And Brandon High was ready to go to Dean Kramer to try and get about three innings out of him out of the bullpen. But Kramer was warming up, and then all of a sudden he wasn't warming up. And we wondered why. Well, we learned why after the game. Dean Kramer felt something in his oblique that's, you know, kind of the midsection. And he is not able to enter the game. Orioles have to piece it together bullpen-wise. And it comes out that Kramer's got an oblique injury. The Orioles placed him on the injured list on Monday. And he's going to miss at least a month, it sounds like. 
So all of a sudden, you know, a big season for Dean Kramer, big that he makes the opening day roster, he doesn't even get to pitch. That would have been his season debut on Sunday, and now he's already on the injured list. So first of all, from the Dean Kramer sense, that sets him back a good amount because while he's on the injured list, these guys like, you know, A. Bauman on Monday, A. Keegan Aiken on Saturday, even the guys who came up, who we'll talk about in a second, they're all getting their chance, and a Bruce Zimmerman as well. They're all getting their chance to kind of show what they can do, these middle pack of starters, and Dean's not going to get that chance. It's not even like he's at AAA like Zach Lowther is. At least Lowther is at AAA and can get some innings. Dean can't get anything, unfortunately. He's out with an oblique, and these oblique injuries are always tricky. Some guys are able to come back fairly quickly and be okay, but there's been a lot of guys who have those oblique injuries linger on because it's your midsection, and you know every baseball motion you do you use the obliques, and when they're injured, you know, you need them to be at 100% to perform. And sometimes, you know, it's just not, it's at 80% and you still can't go. And sometimes those injuries last a while. So hopefully that's not the case for Dean, but it's going to be interesting to see how that impacts him and the Orioles. But in terms of the injury, the Orioles obviously had to bring up another pitcher and they had to bring up another starting pitcher because even though Dean wasn't specifically in the starting rotation, he looked like kind of the follower bulk guy for Tyler Wells, and they needed a guy who could give him some distance. So you look down at AAA, and you kind of had four options, I would say. Spencer Watkins, Chris Ellis, Zach Lowther, and Alexander Wells. And obviously Wells and Lowther were easier because both of them were on the 40-man. And, of course, you had Ellis and Watkins in AAA, but not on the 40-man roster. So what the Orioles did first, actually, over the weekend was they actually put Isaac Matson through waivers. You know, the reliever who came over from the Angels in the Dylan Bundy deal, he'd been on the 40-man roster, pitched in a couple games in the bigs last year before getting injured, having some off-the-field stuff. But for Isaac Matson, you know, kind of unbeknownst, he went through waivers, actually cleared waivers, and went down to AAA and was cleared off the 40-man roster. So the Orioles were playing over the weekend with 39 players on their 40-man roster. So they did have an opening. So it made it easier to add a guy to the 40-man. So that guy that got added and got called up was Spencer Watkins. And I know Spencer didn't have the greatest season in 2021 with the Orioles after they signed him to a minor league deal and he got to the big leagues, but he was serviceable at times. He had a really good start to the season. If you remember, those first couple outings were pretty good. He had that good start uh, against the Rays as well. So, hey, maybe he can throw that together a little bit. Now, he hasn't pitched at AAA this year, but last year with the Orioles, 16 games, 10 starts. He had an 8.07 ERA in 52 and two-thirds innings with the Orioles. He did get hit around a bunch at times, ended up with about 6 Ks per nine, three walks per nine in those about 55 innings. Stuff wasn't great. About a 90-mile-per-hour fastball throws a cutter with a breaking ball. But for Watkins, he'll be up there for long relief help. And then there was the other guy because – you add Watkins, you're back to 28 guys. He takes the open 40-man spot. He takes Kramer's spot. But the Orioles felt that without with Dean Kramer going down, not with a regular one-inning reliever going down, with one of their bulk relievers going down, and with their starters you know, not built up to go five, six, seven innings yet, they felt like they needed another pitcher and another starting pitcher or bulk pitcher at that. And honestly, I kind of agree. So after Sunday's game, the Orioles sent DJ Stewart down to AAA Norfolk. Now, he still has the one option year remaining, so they were able to send him down without DFAing him or placing him on waivers. He just goes straight to Norfolk. And Brandon Hyde said that DJ Stewart took it in stride. There wasn't any hard feelings, and then he went down. He's obviously going to tell the media that, you know, even if it wasn't the case. But Stewart, after an 0-3 weekend, 
in which he pinch hit in the ninth inning in all three games against Tampa, struck out twice and flew out once, so went 0 for 3 with the two Ks, goes down to AAA without even making a start this season, and the Orioles added another pitcher in Alexander Wells. And, you know, we know Wells from last season, one of the Orioles' top 30 prospects. He came up last year and was up and down at the end of the year, made 11 appearances, 8 starts for the Orioles last season, had a 6.75 ERA in 42 and two-thirds big league innings last year for the O's. It was about, again, 6 Ks per 9 and 3 walks per 9, kind of similar stats, maybe a little better than, than Spencer Watkins. And we all know I like Alexander Wells. It's got the 89-mile-per-hour fastball. It's that big, looping 70-mile-per-hour curveball that he can drop in for a strike at any time to go along with his changeup and his slider. And so that kind of leaves the question, you know, what is the O's plan now? Because you replace Stewart and you replace Kramer and you put Watkins and Wells on the roster. But as of recording this here late Monday evening, there's still been no starting pitcher named by the Orioles for the game on Tuesday. And the question kind of becomes, who's pitching? And that question's kind of been answered because Bauman was used in bulk on Monday and Keegan Aiken could probably pitch in Tuesday's game, but he probably wouldn't start considering the three innings he threw on Saturday. And that's just two full days of rest. So at the end of the day, the starter is either going to be, it sounds like, Alexander Wells or Spencer Watkins, with the other guy being kind of the bulk follower. And Wells has already made one appearance at AAA Norfolk this year. He threw four scoreless innings Last week, uh, struck out three, walked one, and gave up one hit. The stuff looked good in Wells' first appearance at AAA, so that's good. He's already got that feeling. Again, Watkins hadn't pitched. But, you know, for the Orioles, they kind of had to call up those guys because, you know, they had this plan, I'm sure, and this plan went out the window a little bit because Kramer got injured. And so I would expect to see the Wells and Watkins combination, and we will see if that's it, but that's what the moves look like. And we'll also see if DJ Stewart stays in AAA for a while, if he comes back up. You know, with him being the guy getting optioned and with the Orioles wanting to carry more pitchers now with Dean out, it's kind of a tough avenue right now for Stewart to get back to the big leagues because you remember, you know, the 28-man roster will shrink to 26 at the end of April. The Orioles are fine with a four-man bench right now. Stewart made it a five-man bench. They're perfectly fine with a four-man bench. They need the pitching more, I think. Could be tough for DJ Stewart to get back to the big leagues. But my guess would be Wells and Watkins, kind of your two starter A, starter B, opener, follower, whatever you want to call it for Tuesday's game. And coming up, we'll talk a little bit more about Tuesday's game and the rest of this series against the Brewers. But first, you know, if you're heading down to Camden Yards for one of these games and you're uh, driving to the ballpark, you obviously want your car to be working correctly, but sometimes you need new parts for your car. Well, that's where rockauto.com comes in. And the best part about rockauto.com, you know, there's so many parts, so many different parts for all these new cars. It gets confusing. And if you go into a chain dealership or, you know, just a regular auto parts store, they're going to try to, to to big time you. They're going to try and tell you that they know more than you do. And you're just going to get confused and want to leave. It's not the case with rockauto.com. They've got low prices, great customer service, been serving do-it-yourselfers for over 20 years, and they're a family-run business as well. I don't know anything about cars, but I can log on to rockauto.com and I can find all the parts I need for my car. It's fantastic. So if you're looking for parts for your car, head to rockauto.com and and write Locked On Orioles in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know that we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, 
all the parts your car will ever need. RockAuto.com. So it's the O's and the Brewers, and two more games coming up this week. Of course, tonight, Tuesday night, and then Wednesday night when I will be at the ballpark for the first time in 2022. But again, you know, when you're listening to this, the Orioles would have probably already named a starter, but as I'm recording here, just shy of 8 p.m. Eastern time on Monday, they haven't named anyone yet, but I would expect it to be kind of either Alexander Wells or Spencer Watkins and the other one following. On the Brewers' side for the Tuesday night game, it is Eric Lauer who will make the start, the 26-year-old left-hander who had a 3.19 ERA in about 119 innings of work for the Brewers last season, mostly as a starter, but he did work out of the bullpen some. He's their number five starter, but he's honestly one of the best number five starters in baseball. Brewers have a lot of depth in their rotation, and Lauer was pretty good last year, 117 Ks in those 119 innings. He's got, you know, it's not a flame-throwing lefty. He's more of a soft tosser, but he has really good stuff. He's he's a really big-time control pitcher. And uh, he's one of those pitchers who, you know, you watch him pitch and you don't think he's going to be dominant, but then he frustrates you. And all of a sudden, you look up, he's thrown six innings, giving up one, maybe two runs, and you don't understand how. He's one of those guys. And uh, Lauer, the lefty, will face presumably a righty-heavy lineup for the Orioles. But then we go to Wednesday, and... I'm excited to go to this one, not just because it's my first game at the yard this year, but it is a true ace-off on Wednesday. The reigning NL Cy Young winner is coming into Baltimore as Corbin Burns is going to get the start on Wednesday night. The 27-year-old righty who won the NL Cy Young with the Brewers in 2021 had just an unbelievable season in Milwaukee. 28 starts, a 2-4-3 ERA last season. Didn't walk anybody for like two months to start the year. But Burns didn't have his best stuff on opening day against the Cubs. Five innings, four hits, three runs, four Ks, and three walks. He walked a batter in the first inning against the Cubs. Again, he didn't walk a batter for like his first five or six starts last year. So maybe a little bit of a less effective Burns will go up against John Means, who, of course, threw the four innings of one-run ball on opening day against the Rays. I'm very excited for that one on Wednesday as well. But just wanted to talk through the rest of this series because, you know, if the Orioles are going to beat this Brewers team, the way that they did it on Monday is kind of how they're going to have to do it. The Brewers have a fantastic starting rotation. I mean, one through five. You know, you talk about Burns, Woodruff, Peralta, then Hauser, who we saw Monday, and Lauer, who the Orioles will see on Tuesday night. In terms of depth, that's some of the best one through five in all of baseball, and that's what got the Brewers to the NL Central title last year. That's what's continued to get them to the playoffs the last couple of years. But what they don't do well is hit. They play really good defense. We saw that. My goodness, Tyrone Taylor robbing Trey Mancini and basically robbing everyone, it seemed like, uh, in the game on Monday. Their pitchers were making great plays defensively as well. The Orioles had four hard-hit balls that should have been hits and turned into outs, which was really annoying on Monday. They play good defense. They pitch well. But the offense isn't great. And obviously their big bat is Christian Yelich, but he's really struggled. You know, struggled last year, hasn't gotten off to a hot start this year. They obviously added Hunter Renfro, who the Orioles know from his days with the Red Sox and the Rays. Uh, but he didn't have any moments on Monday. And the way to beat the Brewers is just to get enough runs off one of their pitchers, whether it be their starter like the Orioles did, get the two runs off Hauser in the second, or just off one of the relievers. Now, their bullpen is rested because Aaron Ashby was the long reliever, you know, uh, relieved Hauser and pitched most of the game. Then they went to Jandel Gustav in the eighth inning. But generally, they did save the bullpen. So, you know, we didn't see Josh Hader or Devin Williams 
or you know even Brad Boxberger, their three-headed monster at the back end of the bullpen. So you will see them. So if you get down early to the Brewers, it can be tough. But what you need to do to the Brewers, exactly what the Orioles did. Get an early lead. They got two runs in the second, took the lead. And the Brewers' offense, a lot of times, is not going to beat you. And so it'll be interesting to see how the rest of this series plays out. But again, game tonight for the Orioles, 7.05. And uh, we'll see who's on the mound for the O's. But they have a chance to win a series and stay undefeated at home in tonight's game. And then we'll be back on the pod tomorrow. I'll be breaking down everything you need to know from game two of the series between the Orioles and the Brewers. And then on tomorrow's pod, I'm going to take a little look back at the Orioles offseason. Because as we saw, especially from the series in Tampa... The Orioles' Major League talent is not really up to snuff. And I'll talk about why this offseason, even though the O's weren't trying to win, was still a failure from Mike Elias and his staff. But that's all coming up on tomorrow's episode of the podcast. Until then, I'm Connor Newcomb, and this has been the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day.